think for a minute about the best gift that you've ever received. Maybe it was from your mom and dad, maybe it was from your spouse, maybe it was from someone else that you care about, a loved one. But I want you to to picture in your mind the best gift that you have ever received. Now it might have been your favorite home-cooked meal, it might have been a new car, it might have been uh, a special something that you had been looking for and longing for. Maybe it was a homemade sort of gift, right? Those, those, those sort of are the best ones to me. I, this past Valentine's Day, my wife, I don't know how she did this, but she had this thing where, like, a, like where you scratch off and underneath it you can see writing. Uh, and so it was, this, it, was, it was 14 days starting on February the 1st through the 14th of 14 reasons why I love you. And so every day I would get this thing out and I would scratch off and see why she loved me that day, you know. And so it was just, it was just really, a, it was neat, but I mean, it didn't cost hardly anything, I guess. And, and it was just her sharing with me how she felt about me. And so I want you to think about the gift that, that you're imagining right now, the best gift that you've ever received. And I want you to answer this question. Did you get that gift because you earned it? Or did you get that gift because the person who gave it to you loved you? That's probably the case, right? The best gifts that we've ever received, we didn't get them because we earned them. They were given to us because the gift giver loves you. And the same is true when it comes to our salvation. It is a gift that is freely given to us by God. We don't receive it because we've earned it or because God owes it to us. It is given to us because God loves you. Yes, you. You go, there's no way that God loves you. I want you to know today that God loves you. And although we live in a world that is opposed to the Lord, although we will face opposition as we try to be followers of Christ, although we're going to struggle at times in our walk with the Lord, he gives us everything that we need to live for him when we trust in him by faith as a gift to us. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to continue our study through the book of Galatians as we think about no other gospel. And today we're going to talk about the gifts that we receive by gospel faith. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd ask that you stand with me in honor of God's word. If you're able, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. Galatians 2, 20, the word of God says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? 
or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham, who believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, who had faith. Thank you. You may be seated. Today I want us to examine these three gifts that God gives to us by faith. And the first one is this, that we received as a gift from God, grace that comes by faith. In verse 20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Paul is continuing his argument against these Judaizers. This is the context of this letter. It's the occasion why the letter was written. Paul is addressing a problem in the church at Galatia where this group called the Judaizers had come in and their contention was that faith in Jesus is good, but you have to add to that the works of the law in order to really be the people of God. So, yeah, it's great that you've trusted in Jesus, but you need to also keep the Jewish dietary laws. You also need to do the Jewish festival observances. You also need to particularly be circumcised is the thing that they were wanting to push there in the Christian church in order to truly belong to God. And so Paul's retort to them was, did you receive these gifts by keeping the law? No, he says, you receive them because you believe the gospel and you were born again. And the first gift that he mentions is grace. And the definition of grace is unmerited favor. So by definition, it's something that you don't deserve. By definition, it's something that you don't earn. It is unmerited favor. And so the idea uh, of works is completely opposite of grace. I mean, the idea of works is that you can do something good enough to, to earn this, that God owes you forgiveness because you have been really good. But what the Bible teaches us is that the, the law was never meant to make us righteous before God. It was to show us how unrighteous we really are. The law is the standard of God's perfection. And the Bible tells us that we all fall short of the glory of God. And so the law is like a spotlight that shines on us and exposes our shortcomings. Paul writes to the church at Rome in Romans 5, 20 and 21. He says, the law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so he says, although our sin is great, God's grace is even greater. That's why we sing that it's amazing. 
because it is this unfathomable gift that God gives to us. The grace of God is like a a tidal wave that drowns our sin and washes it away. And so our salvation is this gracious gift that God gives to us. The law doesn't justify us, it condemns us. But God's grace doesn't condemn us, it sets us free. So Paul says to this church, as this group had come in and was trying to confuse them about what the gospel was, about how they are saved, and maybe some of them were starting to to give ear to this group of Judaizers and say, well, maybe we're supposed to do these things. uh, Maybe we're not truly saved. And Paul says, listen, are you so foolish that you would start out in the spirit and end up in the flesh? He says, I am not going to set aside the grace of God. I'm not going to treat God's grace as if it is just a common thing. And that's what you're doing when you prop up works as your means for salvation. You're setting aside the grace of God in order to pursue works. And Paul argues if if we're declared righteous by keeping the works of the law, then Christ died for nothing, he says. And that's sort of the point. If we could do enough good works to save ourselves, then there was no point in Jesus coming to earth. You just do the works. It's like saying to Jesus, I really appreciate you leaving heaven, coming down here with us, suffering with us, it was really nice of you to do that whole sinless life thing and, you know, to, to go to the cross. But, I mean, you didn't have to do that. All I had to do was do these works. I'll take it from here. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he has richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding we have redemption through the blood of Christ that he has poured out on us by his grace second timothy chapter 1 verse 9 paul also says that he has saved us he's called us with a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And so grace is a gift of God that we receive by faith. And we need this grace in order to be saved. We also need this grace in order to just live for the Lord every day. Because we don't become perfect when we're saved. There are no perfect people here, just forgiven ones. And so we rely on the grace of God every single day. And as a Christian, when you realize that you don't have to be perfect, but that you walk in the grace of God every single day, that sets you free. That you're not trying to do some performance. You're not trying to be uh, like a kid trying to earn his parents' favor. Or to be a brown noser and try to get the teacher to look at you, right? God says, I love you. And I'm giving you my grace, even though you're bad. Even though you don't act right. Even though you messed up, I'm going to love you anyway. 
When you realize that your salvation wasn't about your performance and your sanctification isn't either, that God gives you his grace as you walk after him and follow after him. And God gives you everything that you need to live for him when you trust in him by faith. And so the first gift that he tells us about is this grace that we receive from the Lord. The second gift that he mentions in this passage is that we receive the Spirit by faith. In verse 2, Paul continues. He says, I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? So Paul, again, is asking these Galatians who are, who are you know, being being pulled back and forth by this group coming in, these Judaizers. And he says, listen, did you receive these gifts because you did some great feat? No, you received them because you believed in the gospel by faith and were born again. And so the second gift that he mentions that we receive by faith is the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Paul says, This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He says the Holy Spirit was given to us. He didn't say that the Holy Spirit whom you earned or the Holy Spirit whom you worked for. He says that God has put his Spirit in us as a gift. And it was a gift that Jesus promised to his disciples before he finished his ministry here on the earth up in the upper room in John 14 verses 16 and 17 he says to his disciples I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever he's the spirit of truth and the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you and so God gave the church this gift on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down uh, like like flames of, of fire upon all of the believers. And he tells us that he would remain with them and that he would be in them, that he would guide them to follow after the Lord and he would empower them to live for the Lord. And as you read through all these New Testament letters, we're constantly reminded to walk by the Spirit and not by our flesh. To walk by the Spirit of God. And so the question is, well, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? And this is what Paul is getting at with this church. In verse 5, he says to them, So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or was it by believing what you heard? He says, did you receive this Holy Spirit because you kept the law? Was it because you leveled up in the law? If that's so, then what if you sin and you break the law? Does the Holy Spirit leave you then and you get demoted? Paul says, no, that's not at all how you received the Holy Spirit. It was because you believed by faith. And this is important because there are people today who would make the argument that the Holy Spirit is received as a result of some work. They're not Judaizers, but their argument is exactly the same as these people in the first century. And they'll say things like, 
you receive the Holy Spirit once you've spoken in tongues. They'll say things like, you're not even really a Christian if you haven't received the Holy Spirit because you haven't spoken in tongues. Now, A.W. Tozer said that this spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It's part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. He says the, the spirit, walking in the spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit is not super Christianity. That's normal Christianity. You receive the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian. And so are we receiving the Holy Spirit because we did these works of the law or is it because we believed? We received the Spirit because we believed. It's through faith in Jesus that we're born again and that we're given the Spirit of God who leads us and who empowers us to follow after him. It's not a special gift that's added on later for super Christians. It's not a gift that we receive because we did something or because we said something, or because we spoke in a different language. The Holy Spirit is a gift of God that we receive by faith. And we need the Holy Spirit to live for the Lord every single day. He guides us into all truth. He helps us to overcome temptation. He empowers us to follow after God. So God gives you the Spirit. He gives you everything you need to live for Him when you trust in him by faith. This is the second gift that Paul mentions in this passage. The third gift that he mentions that we receive by faith is righteousness. In verse six and seven, he says, just like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, you know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. So Paul again is saying to these Galatians, how did you receive these gifts? Was it because you kept the law like these Judaizers are telling you? Or was it because you believed? Was it because you trusted in the gospel and were born again? This third gift that he talks about is righteousness that we receive by faith. And here, Paul is attacking the argument of these Judaizers head on. Because this was the bragging point for this group. They're saying, listen, we're the ones who are really Abraham's sons. We're the ones that are fulfilling this promise that God has given to Abraham. Because we're the ones that are keeping the law. We're the true children of God. These Judaizers considered Gentile Christians to be second-class Christians at best and not even Christians at worst. They said, look, we're, we're the Jews. <laughs> we're really the ones who are the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham to make him into a great nation. Jesus says in Matthew 3, verse 9, don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God's able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. <laughs> And what Paul says to this church is Abraham was not counted righteous before God because he kept the law. He says he was considered righteous because he believed. He trusted God's promise that he would make him into a great nation. He put his faith in God. In verse 8 he says the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. 
And so he proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. This is the covenant that he makes with Abraham. And he says, this is the, this is the conditions of the covenant. Verse 9, consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. So this is what that covenant was all about. And that promise is fulfilled to us in Jesus, the Christ. He is the one that will make us into, that all the nations will be blessed through. He's the one who would make us into a holy nation, into a royal priesthood. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you, he's writing to the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so what Jesus makes clear in the New Testament is that the promise to Abraham was not realized in flesh and blood. It isn't the blood that's running through our veins that makes us children of God. It's the blood that covers us that makes us children of God. It's the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross to pay the price for our sin. It's the blood of Jesus that washes us whiter than snow. It's the blood of Jesus that makes us clean. It's the blood of Jesus that declares us right before God. Jonathan Edwards said, if there be ground for you to trust in your own righteousness, then all that Christ did to purchase salvation and all that God did to prepare the way for it is in vain. He says, we're all trusting in the righteousness of Christ. And it's important because there are those who would argue today that we are made right before God because we do certain works. They're not Judaizers, but they're making the same argument that this group back in the first century made. That we have to add various works to our faith in order to have salvation. Some argue that you're not really saved unless you've been baptized in the church. But what the Bible teaches us is that baptism is a public profession of your faith. That you're making to the church to declare that you're one of us. That God has saved you. And baptism is just a picture of that. It's your old life before you knew Christ being dead and being buried and you being raised up again. And when you're baptized, you're just saying to the church that this is what's happened inside of my heart. It's not happening in the water. You're sharing with the church that this is what God has done to me. This is not an act that you do in order to be saved. It's something you do because you are saved. I was in... Ireland about 10 years ago on a mission trip and we were there working and I came across uh, something that was really interesting uh, there called a Killian and this is uh, these are these burial grounds that are dotted across the landscape there in Ireland and this is where they would bury people uh, who who weren't right in the church that they had not been baptized uh, that, that, you know, that maybe they, they died before they were baptized or that, the, uh, you know, for whatever reason, they weren't right with the church. And so the church wouldn't allow them to be buried in the, in the cemeteries at the churchyard because that was holy ground. And so they would be buried 
outside in these graveyards, these graveyards that are dotted across the landscape. And they would do that because in their thinking, you weren't really saved unless you'd been baptized in the church. And so they belonged out there. Some would argue that you're not really saved unless you take communion. You've heard maybe people make that same sort of argument before. But the Lord's Supper, again, is an ordinance that we as the church get to celebrate to declare that our faith is in the body and in the blood of Jesus to save us. That that's where our hope is found and we're celebrating that, that he gave that to us for our salvation. And so how ironic is it that you would say you have to partake in an ordinance in which we are saying that our faith is only in the body and the blood of Jesus for our salvation and not in our works. Again, it's it's not an act that you do in order to be saved. It's something that you do because you are saved. That we're not declared right before God because we did this or because we did that. Righteousness is a gift of God that we receive by faith. And we need the righteousness of Christ to live for the Lord every single day because we're incapable of being perfect. It's March Madness time. And uh, one of the things I love to do, our staff is doing this, is we fill out uh, the brackets, right, and see who can come up with the most points, who does the best in, in the bracket challenge. And my bracket's sort of okay, but it's not great. Right now I'm at uh, about, I've picked about 47% of the games correctly, okay, so less than half uh, that I've gotten right. But, uh, but I'm doing better than Herbert, so, so I'm okay. But... I was reading last night on the CBS Sports Bracket Challenge. Millions of people have filled out their brackets. I mean, millions have filled out their brackets. And there was not a single perfect bracket remaining after the second day. Not a single one. And so the the idea of, of filling out a perfect bracket just sort of seems impossible, doesn't it? But the idea of filling out a perfect life is even more impossible. (laughs) But the good news is that we don't have to because Jesus gives us his righteousness and he fills out our bracket perfectly and he never got it wrong. And again, God gives you everything you need to live for him when you trust in him by faith to save you. And today there may be some in this room, there may be some that are, that are watching with us online, and you realize in your heart that you need to trust in Jesus by faith today to save you from your sin. I'm not asking you to do this thing, to do that thing, to not do this thing, to not do that thing. I'm asking you today to put your faith in Jesus who did the work for you, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross to pay the price for all the wrong things that you've done and all the wrong things that I've done that the Bible calls sin. And the penalty for our sin is death, and that's why Jesus died on the cross. But on the third day, God raised him from the dead, and when he walked out of the tomb alive, he proved that he really is the Son of God, that he really is the Savior of the world, that he's the conqueror of sin and of death and of hell, and if we would put our faith in him 
and who he is and what he's done for us, that we would be forgiven of our sins, that we would be washed clean of our sins, that we would be credited his righteousness, that we would be declared right before God, that we would have fellowship with God and relationship with God. And today that can be true in your life. In a moment, we're going to have a time of response, and there's going to be leaders here across the front. And if this is a decision that you want to make in your heart today, I want to encourage you to come and share that with one of these leaders. To say to God, God, I need you today. I need you to forgive me, and I'm putting my faith in you to save me. We just want to walk you through that and talk with you about what it means to know Jesus and to follow after him. And so if that's a decision you want to make, I want to encourage you to come and to make it this morning. Maybe if you're tuning in online and this is a decision that you want to make in your heart, grab your cell phone again. Text the word DECIDE to the number 865-234-3241. That will let us know that you want to make this decision. It helps us to, to follow up with you and to talk with you about what it means to, to follow after the Lord. Christians, today we've been reminded of these great gifts that we receive from the Lord. And that we're given all that we need to have a relationship with God and to follow after him when we trust in him by faith. I mean, where would we be without the grace of God? Where would we be without the spirit of God? Where would we be without the righteousness of God? But we don't receive these gifts because we have earned them. It's given to us because God loves you. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, thank you for this day, for your word. God, for your goodness to us, the gifts that you give us by faith. God, we're thankful that this isn't a performance-based thing. But God, it's, it's by your grace. And so God, I pray today that as Christians, Lord, we'd realize that we are walking in your grace every day that we are walking in your spirit every day. Lord, that we are walking in your righteousness every day. And so, Lord, help us to, to live for you. Lord, to serve you with all of our heart and all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. God, help us to share this good news with people that are desperately trying to, to earn it. They're trying to do these things, to not do those things in order to try to appease you, in order to try to find favor with you when you said to us that my grace is sufficient for you. And so God, I pray today for those in this room that don't have this personal relationship with you, that today would be the day that they would realize that they just need to put their faith in Jesus, the Son of God who died to save us. God, for those who may be here that are looking for a place to be their church home, maybe today's the first time they've ever been here, or maybe they've been here for a long time, but you're calling them to become part of this family, to be a place where they learn and grow and have fellowship. God, I pray that they would come today and say, this is where I want to belong. But God, help us to be doers of this word today and not just hearers only. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.